Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 48. Chris, hey there. Hey, hey there. How's it going? It's going really well. I just came off of a week-long road trip through Tennessee, went to the Smoky Mountains for the first time. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, I felt like I was in a Hallmark card for fall. Beautiful. Waterfalls and trees, and it was great. It was really, really cool. And then uh, saw a live band in Nashville, Camp uh a country music band that i did not think i would ever enjoy <laughs> of the of the options for the trip uh that was the one that i was like least familiar with and i was like yeah really, that sounds like a thing to do in nashville and i really liked it i uh, it was it was a really good band and i've uh added them to spotify now and i've been playing their songs over and over uh that was that was my week so i didn't get a lot of work done but i i do have some continued thoughts about some stuff i've been talking about for uh, the last couple episodes. How have you been? What did you get up to this last week? Um, <clears throat> well, I did more lab stuff for my master's, which is kind of a recurring theme. Um, I finished my Go lab, and the next lab is in Rust, and I have no experience in Rust, and so the first thing I have to do is learn Rust. And so, like, I knew this class was going to be a lot of work, and it is. It's more than I thought it was going to be. So, um, yeah, next semester I signed up only for one class instead of two because I'm basically doing just my master's. Um, yeah, so I can talk about Rust. Uh, I have a few other things I got up to, but yeah, that was most of it. I would love to hear about Rust. Similar to Go, that's a language that I keep hearing about that I know very little about. I think it might be a functional language. So, uh, not quite. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about Rust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's meant to be so fill a similar role as C or C plus um, plus, but instead of manual memory allocation, it has sort of safe memory allocation um, mm. because all of your the owner of every object or every piece of data is explicit and you can only have one owner and then whatever is mutable that's explicit as well and so like you can do multi-threaded things really easily because if if you are not the owner and it's not mutable then you can read from it anytime without worrying about it if you are not the owner but you're but it's mutable then it has this thing called channels just like go basically so you can communicate when things change. Um, so you can basically do multi-threaded things much easier and safer than, um, say, C or C++. So, yeah, it's it's if you don't need you know C++, then you don't need Rust probably. Uh, but it is a way to safely build really fast uh, programs. Go also has sort of automatic memory management. What would the why would you use Rust instead of Go? Yeah, so Go has so there's like a few ways to do garbage or to do sorry memory management garbage collection, uh, which is I'm pretty sure Go has garbage collection. We didn't do manual memory management, so it has to have garbage collection, I think. Uh, C and C++ it's, have... What if, what if the model for Go is just like, you have to have enough RAM? Like, yeah, <laughs> right. There's no, you, you cannot deallocate memory. <laughs> that's that's right. the design of the language. Um, yeah, so C has manual memory allocation, so you decide when things get allocated. Rust is totally different than those two um, because you don't manually do it, but there also is no garbage collector. What happens is since there's only one owner for a thing when that owner goes out of scope all of its things go out of scope hmm. so it's it's not like an automatic garbage collection it's it's like a sort of like implicit uh memory management because like if if your function ends then all hmm. the things that that function owned also go out of scope okay that sounds like garbage collection to me i don't i don't know that i understand the distinction yeah so the difference is garbage collection runs at some interval and so, like, every, you know, 100 milliseconds or something, it goes and collects everything with no reference counters. That's usually how it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, Rust is different because it's not at any interval or anything. Uh, basically, you get to decide when it happens by ending the function. 
Gotcha. Okay, so I I imagine the benefit of that would be you have more efficient memory management because it's memory is getting deallocated at the moment when you don't need it anymore. Well, uh, closer to that because it's when the function ends, as opposed to at a at a interval. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's automatic. So like with C, if you don't free it, then you get a memory leak. With Rust, there's yep. no memory leaks because if your function is running, then you are using the things that it is the owner of. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I am surprised that that problem would be big enough to justify its own language. Is that is that a problem in this deep learning stuff that you're encountering frequently of like <clears throat> <laughs> you need your garbage collection to be a little bit quicker? So no, uh, it, it's not necessarily quicker. Um, it's just uh, the the language itself enforces both thread and memory safeness. Okay. Um, so no, this is actually deep learning specific at all. This is a language created by Mozilla to build Firefox in. So it's, oh, interesting. yeah, it's for things that have to be, so browsers, you don't want them to crash. Yeah. Uh, you want them to be super fast and you have to have access to the metal. And it's, it's meant to be an easier way, easier than C or C++ to mm. manage, um, like these low level, very fast, but also needs to be safe things. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Neat. How, uh, how deep in the weeds are you in Rust? Are, you, are we doing like opening tutorials? Oh, you know what else I'm curious about is what, what's your, what's your process for learning a new language? How, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. So in this case, it's a little different than if I was just learning it to do whatever I needed to, uh, cause I only need a very small subset of the language. Mm -hmm. So they have a skeleton piece of skeleton code. And so I'm basically going through tutorials, trying to see where the skeleton code they have applies mm -hmm. and then uh, do, doing that. So I only need a few, few bits of the language. Like I don't need really deep uh, things. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to basically learn just in time to get the next bit of the skeleton code working. Yep. Uh, yeah. JIT learning. Love it. Have you, I, th I think we've talked about before on this podcast, the site learn X in Y minutes.com. Yeah. You talked about that. I don't think I've, looked at it though for this sort of thing of like you you just need to know enough of the, the language to know that oh you know string concatenation is a dot instead of a plus sign or uh oh okay memory management works in this different way and this is just the the thing to keep in mind for for people like you who already know several languages and you just need to know like okay i don't i don't need to relearn like what a variable is and uh how the, the basic fundamental concepts of computer science and like what a for loop is i just need to know what's the syntax for it and are there any particular special gotchas in this language and uh so it's when when i'm in a similar position like when i'm trying to learn swift uh that's that's how i was doing it yeah that maybe i should check that out too because uh, yeah the, some of the hardest bits are like it's not even the syntax stuff. So in Rust, because things have one owner and you have to declare when things are mutable, like you cannot share and change data the way you're expecting to. Mm. Um, because if, if you pass a piece of data to a function, that function now owns the data. Mm. And so if you don't want that to happen, you either have to copy it or clone it or do, you know, pass by reference, explicitly pass by reference saying that that function now doesn't own it, you know? So it's like, mm. it adds a lot of thinking overhead to some of the things that are like normal. Um, so it's like the syntax isn't that hard. It's like changing your how you are thinking about things. Hold on, I don't think I understand what you said. If I if I call a function with a variable, and I am just using the default, I'm, I'm not saying that it's a reference or that I'm explicitly passing it by value. After I run that function, so when I call the function, then the function owns that variable. Yep. And then when the function ends, 
the Rust cleanup says, okay, clean up everything that was inside this function, and that will include the variable that I passed into the function? Correct. So if you call, <laughs> what? <laughs> so if you call the same function twice in a row with the exact same arguments, like yeah. there's the default ones, uh, yeah, yeah. The, compile, the compiler will tell you that there's an error. <laughs> That's not okay. <laughs> it's just going to go around deleting my variables. I don't like uh, that at all. Well, it, it, it won't. The compiler will tell you before you do it that there's a problem. Okay. So. <laughs> That's that would be so confusing if I, if I was trying to like debug it by printing out like like I call the function and I'm not getting the expected result because the function I'm writing is wrong or something, and then I try to print out the arguments for the function. They're all going to be like undefined or or well, nil or something. No, it won't even compile. So the <laughs> the way that Rust makes it safe is that the compiler won't let you do that. Okay. Yeah. That's so instead that's very interesting. You put a little ampersand before each of the variable names, yeah, yeah. and that tells it that you're lending. It's called lending, lending the that value to the to the function. Okay, I'm I'm very surprised. I I think this is just showing that I'm unfamiliar with the problems that the designers of this language Mozilla uh, were encountering that made them do this. But it's a cool idea. But I would not make that the default. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like have the ampersand be that I would like you to delete the the variable after I use it. Um, how strange. Do do you find yourself then? I guess you're just working in this demo program, but yeah. does it seem like the the standard thing to do is just include the ampersand before every variable that you're passing to functions? Uh, I have not done enough to figure out exactly what my default is because it's okay. it's so it's so so far it's pretty weird. Yeah, interesting. How strange. I'm I'm reminded of. Uh, I don't usually think about things like memory management, but with uh, the project I was working with, with my magician friends making a robot arm, part of that was Arduino. And there was a sort of complicated piece of it where the the Arduino needs to receive serial con uh, communications in JSON. And there's other ways I could have done it of like passing bits that, that would have been more efficient probably and a little bit faster, but uh, passing it in JSON is fine. So like there's multiple servos on this arm, and to change the position of the servos, I just send it through a serial USB connection, a JSON object that is a key value store of the name and position that I would like each of the servos to be at. And when I compiled it, uh, the, the, I, I was adapting code from uh, someone else who had written the majority of it. And I would compile it and, and it was fine. And uh, I rewrote most of it. And in rewriting it, I saw that the sort of complicated JSON parsing object was defined in the function. Uh, yeah. And I thought, oh, that's, I think I remember from uh, my, my undergraduate degree that like in C++, there's variables that can be on the heap and on the stack. And I don't remember which of those are, but uh, that if, if you're defining a variable in the function, it gets, it gets allocated in like dynamic memory. And so I could make this a little bit more uh, efficient by moving that variable declaration outside of the function. So it just does that once. And then every time the function is called, it just reuses that same variable so that the memory gets allocated at compile time. And the first time I compiled it, it was like, whoa, you're using like 85% of the memory available on this device. Like, be careful. And I only saw that error because it was running on the compiler. And like, I wouldn't have seen that. It was doing the same thing when it was running it uh, live on the, on the Arduino. Um, but I just didn't see the error because it wasn't happening at compile time. So I could totally see how if I wasn't, if I wasn't thinking about memory on this lower level device and, and thinking about like, oh, I'm, I'm coding on a, on a device that has limited memory. Like that's not, that's not something I have to do ever uh, that I, I could run into errors where, you know, if, if I had, if I had had to run a function like that twice, 
uh, while and, and simultaneously. So it was trying to use that amount of memory uh, at the same time. Like, I think the Arduino would have crashed, and I would have been so confused as to why. Uh, so it's 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 fun thinking about like we're still dealing with physical limitations. We're we're still dealing with these are devices that are using bits, and the bits are stored on pieces of silicon, and that <laughs> they they run at a set speed that's kind of based on the speed of light and uh you you need to be thinking about these things especially when the work that you're doing is going to be magnified you know millions or billions of times that uh, it's going to be running incredibly insanely quickly and uh if you don't have a, a working model of how the underlying stuff is is operating then you can get totally lost in not knowing why this crazy machine is has broken yeah yeah it's especially important for stuff like arduino or iot um i actually experienced that with my cuda lab too when i was running on my gpu i had a big for loop that was going around things um which generally in gpus you don't want to do for loops but i was um and uh i i realized that the for loop was was i don't remember exactly it was allocating more memory than what the each core had a cache or something and so i knew it was going to be a little bit slow so i just broke it manually into two for loops and it like uh sped it up by 30 percent wow um yeah it was just like because it was using it got to use one cache instead of two or or something like that Mm. um and it's like that was that was like a oh cool like i recognized why something was kind of slow and i did something manually and it made it a lot faster even though it was basically identical code just two for loops instead of one um yeah so that, that was a neat uh I actually understood what was going on and was able to make it faster. How rewarding. This, sort of tangentially, this is this is kind of my justification for getting the new uh, M1X MacBook Pro <laughs> because like, I feel like people are going to be buying that that are going to be using it just because they have a lot of money and they're going to use it for like email and Facebook and YouTube. Never touching any of the capacity that it has. But like, there are several things that I'm doing that actually are hitting the limitations of what this M1 MacBook is able to do. Like there are things I do that max out all the cores and getting more into machine learning. There are things I'm starting to do that are starting to uh, use a lot more GPU. Uh, it's not like I'm just going after, oh, I, I want the highest resolution graphics. Like, no, I'm I'm one of the people who's actually <laughs> capable of using the, the capacity of like the most advanced uh, silicon that, that exists right now at a, at a consumer level, at least. Um, and then, you know, there's people on a whole different level that are writing code that's filling up, you know, giant uh, server bays and like the, the people doing machine learning at Tesla. My gosh, how I would just feel so cool. I feel like here's this here's this problem that's, you know, I'm at the top of my field framing this problem for the most advanced supercomputer custom designed to do this. And I'm maxing it out. I'm using all of the stuff in it and any little edge that I can get by managing memory a little bit faster or you know having a, a designing a slightly more efficient soc on the on the hardware side like that capacity is going to be used and I'm, I'm pushing it to the max uh it feels really cool i feel like we're we're the, we're the pioneers we're like we're doing the cool stuff it's uh i like it yeah uh yeah, it feels neat we talked about that right that tesla is de- developing their own chip like massive chip like cubic foot uh you know chip like i don't know if we talked about it on okay. the record uh we may have talked about it like afterwards uh okay you, yeah you te- wanna... te- yeah tesla's training is pushing the boundaries so much that they actually de- designed their own chip so they designed a chip it's like like uh how much is that like three square four square inches something like that and they put a bunch of them on a on a thing so it's like a square foot of silicon and then they uh for the cooling and the power they, it's about a cubic foot total and so it's a cubic foot 
and um, it replaces, I don't remember, at least a server rack worth of GPUs. It's it's ridiculous what it replaces. Um, and it's all, since it's all on one chip, and they're worried about the speed of light and stuff like that. Uh, their buses can be faster. They have higher, you know, throughput and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's crazy what they're doing. We're in a really cool era of computing. Because, uh, like, yeah, Tesla, after they did that, you know, they, they compressed the server rack down into a cube and also made it much more efficient because the, the stuff is physically close together. Really analogous, now that I think about it, with uh, what Apple's doing with the, the uh, their own custom silicon and SOCs. Mm-hmm. You're, you can just, like, pull all the different macro pieces of a computer together and physically reduce the distance that it has to travel and have tricks like shared memories so that you don't have to copy data back and forth between the CPU and GPU. Like, there's there's a surprising amount of room for improvement like i i remember a conversation i was having with someone maybe 10 or 15 years ago about uh moore's law and how like at the time i think we were just starting to get down to four nanometer uh processes and uh it it was becoming very clear of like okay well after that it it gets kind of hazy because now you have to worry about quantum tunneling and it's it's there's only so far you can go with just shrinking the electronics of of a transistor um and so it, it was looking at the time we were talking about in this conversation, like, okay, well, it looks like, you know, as soon as all the silicon gets to this tiny bit that, okay, Moore's Law is probably going to slow down. Uh, I haven't seen a graph of it recently, but, like, it seems like there's a lot of creative room still for uh, moving things around and, like, integrating more of the, the macro systems of, like, if you integrate the GPU and the CPU and, you know, if you put stuff physically on top of each other now instead of traveling in the X and Y plane, it can travel vertically up and down. And, uh, you know, having having custom uh, s- hardware circuits for doing the stuff that you're doing, like uh, in the in the new M1 Max, there's a, there's a hardware circuit for encoding in H.264 and ProRes. So any, any video encoding you're doing, uh, that's running, like, on the hardware now. That's not work that the CPU is doing. Seems like it's it's just it's a, it's an exciting time. Like I can imagine a, a future processor that has like I don't know a TensorFlow module on it where it's it's hardware designed to make the stuff that TensorFlow needs to do faster, uh, and that that may already be done with uh, different GPUs and things. And I'm I'm not sure what the uh, benefit would be of like the speed improvement of doing that versus just having a really fast GPU. But uh, I'm I'm consistently surprised that progress comes from unexpected places you, you can be really creative with how you're getting things done faster yeah yeah um the same thing happened with clock speeds basically like clock speeds got faster and faster and faster and all of a sudden they couldn't really push clock speeds anymore and then they went multi-core and actually now clock speeds are dropping because it's way more power efficient um so you got slightly lower clock speeds but lots of cores also uh yeah gpus do have tensor cores um it's uh oh, so, that's yeah, so cool. t- tensor cores are a thing um also, someone's probably uh, yelling right now that Moore's Law is what what it said is that um, is that uh, let's see what is it? transistor density would double every eighteen months, and so yeah, that is coming to an end actually. But the spirit of Moore's Law, which is that computers will get basically twice as fast every eighteen months, that's continuing because of all these these different interesting things. Um, so yeah, basically because they can't make transistors any smaller, or I mean they still are making them smaller, but not easily make them mm. as small. Um, yeah, it's neat. Uh, it also is like hearing the, these professors talk. I know that I never want to do like this low level, like actual like <laughs> designing and stuff. It's like they're talking about you know cache lines and word sizes and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, oh um, this is all very interesting. I don't want this to be my professional <laughs> career. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. 
Yeah. Very academically interesting, but like I agree, I, I would not want to be. Like, I want to do the fun stuff. I want to. I want to spend you know thirty minutes and have a VR app or something. That's that's a fun layer of working on stuff that I like doing. Or you know, write a little bit of Arduino code and get a robot arm to move. If I was just hacking away at this problem of like, okay, how do I how do I get this complicated series of uh, you know like a, like a how do I how do I design a tensor core so that it's two percent more efficient. Uh, would have these huge ramifications in the industry of like, okay, now everyone's work on doing anything in TensorFlow is 2% faster, but it'd be, I don't know. I, I, it wouldn't feel rewarding to be that disconnected from like what the cool stuff is of the, the actual applications of it. Um, but very academically interesting. It's fun. Yep. Cool. Uh, what else did you get up to this last week? I heard you have a child who's about to have a birthday. Who That's right. Yeah. Harry Potter Come- fan completely unrelated but my kid wants to have a harry potter birthday party um which is fine like we do we do friend parties every other year um and this is his year for a friend party um and so we're trying to figure out how to do that how to do that safely and stuff now kids can get vaccinated so that's cool um so he wants to have a harry potter party and as part of it he wants to give out wands to everybody so they can use the wands as part of the party that's so cool yeah that's fine totally um they, the easy way to do that is to buy, uh, you know, you can buy one cheap plastic ones for about $2 a piece, you know, on Amazon and like, get a whole pack of them. That would be the rational thing to do. Um, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but do I, uh, use this as an excuse to either buy a 3d printer or a wood lathe so that I can make a bunch of ones, um, yes. <laughs> which is not financially efficient at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> will take way more time, but it's much more fun. Um, so that's what I'm trying to figure out now is, is can I, should I buy it? Do I have the time? And, uh, yeah, what would that look like? I have, I have several, uh, comments on this. First of all, do you not have a 3d printer? No. Yeah. I got my first one about a year ago and I should have gotten it 10 years ago. It's great. You're there's so many things that you don't even know about that you can use for this. Uh, and so much fun of like, you, you don't even notice like, there's, there's so many little problems I have that just introducing into my life this machine that can make anything. If I can just design it in 3D, if I, if I can make an STL of it, it can exist. There's so many little things of like, like, like playing board games, having having custom things to hold the cards and hold the dice, or like dice rollers, or like uh, little stupid Tesla accessories to like hold stuff in place, or like my the 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 expanse of the problems that I'm capable of solving got so much bigger and you can get one for like three hundred dollars it's it, like the price of what a, a printer used to cost a couple of years ago or the the cost of a really nice 2d printer right now um you you get this magical ability to just print out anything you want uh and there's several online marketplaces like thingiverse where you can just download stuff for free that people have already made <laughs> like it's amazing <laughs> the you can make stuff that has moving parts and oh it's it's just so cool or if you're if you're building a bigger thing and you want a, a smaller model of it you can uh just print it out so like independent of this uh i would strongly nudge you in the direction of getting a 3d printer they are very affordable they're really easy to use it's so much fun even if you don't use it and just like have it there to to have that background process running in your brain of like oh if, if there ever was anything i needed that was about this big and made a plastic that would solve this problem i, I could do it there um so yes i get a 3d printer <laughs> Uh, I have several recommendations. I got the, uh, oh, the snap maker, which is a combination CNC, uh, and 
laser cutter and 3D printer. You just snap out the head and uh, screw a different one in. Because um, functionally, it's the same thing. It's it's just like, you know, do you, do you have movement precisely controlled and on three axes? And uh, there's something you need to do while you're doing that. Uh, that one is expensive, but it's not expensive if you think about it as you're buying three things <laughs> as one thing. It's, right. If you take the price of it and cut it into three... It's like a reasonable price for any of those things. And then it's much nicer. Um, and my brother-in-law has two 3D printers that he got um, that are much cheaper, that are more of like the do-it-yourself. And he's, th- those I think are like in the $300 or $200 range, but he's constantly having to do more things of like calibrating and there's a lot yeah. more manual control, whereas the, the SnapMaker just works. Uh, you, you just hit print and it just prints stuff out. Um, I haven't had to mess with anything. And like most of the time, probably 90% of the time, the, the print just works. Uh, is there a reason why you haven't gotten a 3D printer already? <laughs> Has this uh, just not come up before? Yeah, well, we sort of talked about it, which is I know I will print like one thing, or in this case, a bunch of wands, and then like yeah. not print anything for like, you know, a year or two. So yeah, it's yeah. like, I really, and also, so my the library near me has this thing where they actually have 3D printers you can go and you just have to pay for the filament. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, I've done that once. And so like, <laughs> if it's right there anyway, and I haven't done it, then, yeah. uh, you know, I, I probably don't really need one. No one needs one. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I, I think I would be very interested to see the things that you did with one if you had one. It, oh, oh, here's the analogy. In a very similar way that the, the GPU that you got, uh, just having it there, like the the optimization shifts from yeah. how can I use this the smallest amount of time possible if you're paying per second of execution or whatever to how can I use this as much as possible because I already bought the thing. And so if it's not being used, it's sort of being wasted. So just like, how can I push more projects into this thing? Uh, I would love to see where your brain goes of things that you could do if, if that became the new problem of like, you have this thing here and you, you got the machine and uh, you, you could currently be printing stuff out. When I first got it, I was I was 3D printing just like nonstop for, I don't know, days. <laughs> it's, and then I'd have a, a gap of like a half an hour and then I'd, I'd keep printing again uh, new stuff. So uh, yes, I think... That would be a really cool thing to get. Specifically, for the problem of you want a bunch of Harry Potter wands, uh, I have a suggestion. This is a problem that I had recently because when I went to the Harry Potter world and uh, was looking at Harry Potter paraphernalia, if you buy a wand from the places where you're supposed to buy it, it's like $30. It's dumb. It's And it's plastic with like a piece of metal in the middle. Um, but that's for like the top quality, the, the replications of the wands from the films. If you go to AliExpress.com, you can get the exact same wands. And I know because I've, I've seen the ones that I got from there and I've seen the ones, uh, after that, that like are the official ones. They are the same. They're coming from the same place. Uh, it's about $2 a wand. It takes like two months to ship. So I don't know if this would make sense for, uh, the party. I'm, I'm, I gotta have it faster. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the future, if you ever need to solve this problem again and you want a whole bunch of wands, uh, if you get it directly from China, it's a tenth of the price. That's cool. I've never bought from AliExpress. How is that experience? I love it. I was really skeptical at first because I was thinking this can't possibly be real. How can you possibly ship me this thing for $2 with shipping? Uh, That doesn't make any sense. This is just going to be a scam. So I did a little test run of buying some stuff from it. 
and then I forgot about it. And then about a month and a half later, I got a whole bunch of packages from China and I didn't remember what they were. <laughs> and uh, I, I filmed a little video of this actually. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes of me like opening these packages that I just did not remember what they were. <laughs> Each one's like a little surprise. I'm like, oh, past me thought that I would need this. And yes, I do. This, this is really cool. Uh, and it's great. It's it's like, it's the same stuff. I, I heard the analogy that Amazon is just a front end for Alibaba. Uh, it, that's like where all this stuff is being made, but Amazon has the local distribution centers and they can get it to you faster. But my understanding of, uh, so a, a distinction here, Ali, Alibaba is for wholesalers. That's for if you want to like do drop shipping and you want to order, you know, a hundred of a thing and put it up on Amazon. AliExpress is, I think the same company, uh, but it's more for consumers. You can just order one of a thing and uh, it, it comes in uh, and then, if you want to, you could find that same thing on Alibaba and then order a hundred of them and it'll be cheaper. Um, but it's still outrageously cheap on AliExpress. Um, yeah. So for a whole category of things now, like if it's something I don't need in the next two months, but I would like to have it and I care more about price than anything else. AliExpress is awesome. There's, I've gotten so much stuff from there now of like little electronics and like, uh, uh, Tamagotchi. I'm going to, I'm going to give each of my family a, a Tamagotchi uh and it's you know it's like a dollar fifty each and i'm like this doesn't make any sense how is this but i think that's just the price that things are um and a lot of the times it'll be like you know 10 or 15 times less than the stuff on amazon but uh you know at, at minimum it'll be you know half or a third the price so yeah that's man you're gonna you're gonna burn like several days on aliexpress <laughs> just like anything you've ever wanted is so much cheaper there uh anything with clothing or like jackets or uh I, I got a bunch of magic tricks on there that i wasn't able to afford as a child that you know it, it was like a 30 dollar uh card trick when i was a kid and i found it on aliexpress for a dollar 50 uh and so i got like four of them <laughs> and it's the same thing it's like oh it's great uh yes uh double double thumbs up for aliexpress.com cool yeah well one of the things i heard this before and didn't go searching but one of the things i know is way cheaper is anything electronics parts mm -hmm. like leds and you know resistors and stuff and uh like um anything building materials like uh, aluminum extrusions or mm -hmm. things like that um those are all cheaper if you order them direct uh, but you have to usually you have to order you know like like 30 of them mm -hmm. <laughs> and you might only need a, a few um i haven't looked though but that's very interesting i will have to check that out afterwards yeah through Alibaba, you would have to order 30 of them, but AliExpress, I found out about recently, and that's, yeah, you just order one of the thing. Like for the, okay. the Tamagotchis I got, I could have ordered just one, and I did to test it out and be like, okay, yes, is this real? <laughs> is uh, this yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, and then it, got it, ten of them. Yeah, it's not like in Chinese when you get it or something, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I just tested to see if it turned on. I don't know if it might. <laughs> it might be in Chinese. I might have spent uh, $15 on like 10 Tamagotchis that are in Chinese, but... Well, now my family gets to learn Chinese. Well, I was going to say, well, you, can, you can also buy a Learn Mandarin CD from AliExpress. Yes. <laughs> yes. Genius. Uh, oh, that's so funny. Um, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Uh, totally changing gears. You, both of us have the Oculus Quest 2 from Facebook, uh, now Meta. And I've been seeing a lot more posts on Hacker News recently about working in VR, setting up virtual monitors and having code. And I think my... I haven't tried it yet. I think I might try it later today. Um, but I think my my sh the, the resistance I'm thinking about right now is that I can't imagine I'm going to be able to read the text unless mm -hmm. the screen is just gigantic. 
Um, have you tried anything like that? Have you have you thought about wanting to move work into VR? I, I haven't, no. Um, part of my question is, what does eye strain do when it's on your head for that long? Um, mm. Like, my eyes sort of hurt after I take it off after a while, so... Uh, I don't know if that goes away or if it's bad for your eyes or something. Um, yeah, the other thing is is about text. The things that I have heard it that it's really good for is anything, uh, especially 3D design, but like design related generally. So like mm. it's not text, you know, if you're pushing around, uh, you know, if you're sort of sculpting a 3D object, then it's great to be in 3D so you can see what it looks like. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that I've heard really good. But yeah, uh, Zuckerberg keeps uh, pushing his metaverse and uh, I <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Like <laughs> he seems to think that it's the future. And so a lot of people are talking about it, but no one, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm very, very skeptical. What is the metaverse? I haven't seen that video yet of the, the announcement that he did. I, I think he's, what he's talking about is like this, this idea that you can have a separate reality, just the, like, like an extension of VR that, that the metaverse could be like a, a platform for VR in the same way that like the internet is the platform for the web. Uh, that's a that's a connected way to share things that are in 2D, like videos and photos. But the metaverse would be like a layer on top of the internet where everything was in 3D. Is that right? Yeah. So I think part of the problem is it means different things to different people. But it's my understanding is you can do things like have meetings where everyone's an avatar, right? So you can have your avatar and do different things. So it's kind of like Second Life, I think. Uh, although there's a thread on Hacker News, like why is the metaverse not just Second Life? And I sort of read part of it, but um yeah I, I keep thinking of that that movie the mean girls where it's like stop trying to make fetch happen so it's like <laughs> stop trying to make metaverse happen you know if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen but, but like him pushing it i don't know it's kind of weird um i really think it's really neat like it's it's really very interesting to like be able to be present with someone in a meeting with avatars but the idea that i'm gonna spend eight hours in that especially like maybe in the future but like right now the technology is not there at all i think like having an oculus quest on my head for eight hours doesn't sound fun this is something I think about all the time, but what if we are already in the metaverse? What if that's what this is? Looking are we like the direction where everything yes. is going is that VR is going to be indistinguishable from reality. And we're going to get to the point where you can just, you know, jack up your spinal column and start receiving fake inputs from a computer or something else. Uh, it's it's pretty nice in here. Like, I don't know. That <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a cool place to be. I get to go to the virtual Smoky Mountains. and It's, it's very nice there. Uh and I, I see a lot of benefits to it too of like i think i think part of the lesson society learned from the uh pandemic is like there's a lot of value to be able to have as an option being able to interact in higher fidelity remotely um that that when these things become more prolific and like you know everyone has a vr headset how cool would it be if you know, we could be we could be live recording this podcast in front of a virtual audience, and we have our our own virtual uh, uh, auditorium where people can go and sit and like you know ask questions, and uh, we can look out at that audience and see what their reactions are and stuff. Like that'd be really cool, and it would feel a lot like if we were actually doing that. And VR has all these advantages of like space is no longer valuable uh space doesn't cost anything so if, if you want your auditorium to be you know in in the oh what's the famous auditorium in uh new york Carnegie if you wanted to be in a recreation of like whatever the the fanciest uh auditorium is that you would want you, you can do that um if you want everything to be decorated in this crazy way and everything made of gold like you can do that it's that's if you, if you want a crazy fancy view of like okay you you want all of that and you want it to be on top of mount everest <laughs> that's the view outside the windows like you can do that 
um, it's I, I see a lot of potential in just decoupling the experience that you have in that sort of place with uh, the, the scarcity of actually being in a place like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I see a lot of parallels to like the internet. Um, and we're, right now with VR, we're like early internet. You have to go sit at a desktop computer to access the internet kind of days yeah. because you have to put on this big headset. I think when internet really took off, like it was taking off, but then when mobile phones, phones came out and you carried it around everywhere, you could just take it out, do something, put it back in. Yeah. So yeah, if VR was as easy as like I tap the side of my glasses and now I see VR, um, that's a totally different ball game than I have to go to the special place where my Oculus is, put it on, and it's this big mm-hmm. heavy thing and use the controllers. Um, that feels very, it feels more like, a, you know, sitting down at a video game console or something to me still. Yeah. So. The, the, drawing the analogy to the internet is that feels very fitting. Um, I'm reminded of things like books or audiobooks. 30 years ago, that used to be, you're talking about a physical book. You're talking about like going to a library, going to a bookstore, and you have to get the physical book. And now when I think about a book, I think much more abstractly about like, it's the content of the book. And I might, I might choose to have a physical version of the book, but the physical version is not the book. The, the book in my head is much more like the file in audible that I can download. And it's, it's not even like that particular copy. It's just like the fact that I have an easy way to access that information. It's it, I'm thinking about it much more as the, as the bits of the book. And the same is true. I think for things like pictures or, or videos or movies, it, it, the, all of those things became more abstracted because they could be perfectly represented uh, you know, just on a screen and uh, access through the internet just whenever you needed them. So the the existence of the internet s- made it less necessary to need physical representations of these abstract ideas. Uh, so applying that to the metaverse, how many how many three dimensional things do we have that are going to stop having any meaning once we can have a high fidelity recreation of those things in VR, like? You know, you don't need as nice of a house, I guess, if if you can just have one room that's blank that can become any virtual room. Uh, you don't need a theater room if you can strap on your VR headset and be in an IMAX theater. Uh, I, I'm I'm really curious to see what other things like that there are. Uh, like, I don't know, maybe art on the walls you don't need if you can just project virtual art through your glasses and. Uh, if you just take your glasses off, it's the bare wall again. But if you're wearing your glasses all the time and the AR is ubiquitous, it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's very interesting. And I'm excited to see what's what's coming. Um, so I guess someone has to move. So I guess if Zuck is moving early, then then that's okay. I, I'm reminded a little bit of, so you talked about books. Like books to me aren't just books. I, I buy a lot of physical books, uh, mostly for like authors that I follow or want to support or whatever. But often for like any nonfiction book, before I read it, I'll like watch a video that the author has done, like an interview, you know, or something. And then I'll go online and read some forum about the thing. So the book is a lot more than just a book now. It's like all this this digital bread, you know, crumbs of what the, mm-hmm. is in the book. Um, so maybe the metaverse has something like that. You know, it's not like objects aren't just objects anymore. It's you have your virtual object and you have your, you know, people that are talking about your virtual object and your, I don't know, whatever. So mm-hmm. it's like more connected information about things. Yeah, interesting. It's a cool way to look at it that each object is the meaning of the object isn't just the object, it's it's the connection of that object to everything else. I'm reminded of a there's an idea in Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life that your laptop only works because of the environment that it's in 
like your your laptop is supported by this infrastructure of electricity that goes and can feed the right kind of electricity at the right voltage to your laptop and your laptop is useful because it's connected to the internet and it it speaks the same language as all the computers on the internet do right now uh if you got a computer from 30 years ago like the the com- a computer from 30 years ago today means less and is capable of fewer things than it was 30 years ago because 30 years ago it was connected to things it 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 was much more its connections were i don't know higher fidelity or like more important or were were able to to get more value uh than it would be right now so the looking at just everyday things you're each of those things is connected in this way that you don't really think about but it's it's much more than just the thing that it is so to think that you could take your laptop and it would still be useful 50 years from now is uh silly because it's not just about the laptop it's about how it's connected to everything else yeah there was a thought experiment like i don't remember where i was reading this but it's what would be the most valuable thing to take take back with you in time and mm-hmm. you know you might think like a cell phone right uh no absolutely useless because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, it's gonna die quickly there's no gps there's no cell you know right yeah. no electricity um one of the more in, one of the more capable things is like a calculator a solar powered calculator <laughs> Because that'll last a really long time, and doing complex calculations is like very important to people like running armies and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other thing is like a medical textbook. <laughs> it's like, oh. like hugely valuable. Uh, so yeah, these these things that can stand on their own and actually mean something. Uh, yeah, that's a cool right. idea. I like the idea of a calculator, a solar powered <laughs> calculator. Would actually, but can you imagine like you bring that back in time two thousand years? <laughs> so, someone else said you'd be you'd be burned at the stake pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> How would you how would you even think about that? And then, you know, if if it got in the hands of like the, the king of Sumar or something, <laughs> I'm imagining like they have this big stone edifice and you gotta go in and there's all these guards in front and you go up and there's like this you know, this light shining from carved stone things in the roof and it's highlighting this pillar and all the pillars like a, a shitty Casio solar powered calculator, <laughs> like four function. It's just the most valuable thing in the kingdom. That'd be so funny. Oh man. <laughs> want to see a movie about this now um good stuff uh cool i would like to update you on my experience in renting out my old car uh i have made 314 dollars and 50 cents and i have lost a lot of mental fatigue (laughs) okay (laughs) the so on the site that I'm running it out on Hire Car, it's it's designed to rent cars out to people who are driving Uber, uh, and so I, I sort of had a loose conception of who's the who's the type of customer who would use this. Of like, okay, maybe it's someone who like doesn't want to use their primary car, or maybe someone who was driving for Uber but has their car in the shop, or maybe it's someone who who like doesn't have a car and uh, wouldn't like to drive for it. And the picture I'm getting now. Man, and this is going to be really hard to talk about without just sounding horribly classist and like out of touch with reality. Is like, it's, I'm I'm getting them. I I feel so like elitist and like that I don't understand the the plights of the common working man uh, in in my interactions with the first person who rented this car because they they rented it out for two days uh and it was like eighty dollars to rent it out for two days and so two days driving for uber and lyft i don't know you, you make like a couple hundred dollars uh so that makes sense it's a positive roi and when they when they picked up the car they said that uh they might want to extend for two days so i was like oh maybe they want to extend for two days because like that's not you know that they don't know whether or not they want to keep doing it or maybe they have like a thing coming up in two days and two days come by and it's like half an hour before the the extension deadline 
and uh, they text me and are like, uh, I'm waiting for the money to come in so that I can pay this car. And I was like, oh, you don't have $80 to pay for this thing that's making you money? And I, I, I've been thinking about that for like the last week of like, I don't understand. I've never been that poor. I've like, and I just feel terrible of like, I'm making money on this car. That's this lifeline to this person that's unable to like, they're just down to the wire and they were able to, to pay for it the last second and, and get the other $80 through and extend for another two days. Um, and then for several days they were unresponsive and there was a period of like a day and a half where the car was due but it wasn't returned. And I was trying to message them being like, Hey, are you going to return my car or should I file a police report or how does this work? Um, and I, it, it, the, the latest update, they've just been like renewing it for a, a day or two at a time. The latest update is that, uh, they, they extended it for uh, another day and it was due, uh, I think, I think two hours ago and I have yet to receive a message from them. And I've sort of just resigned myself to like, it's a car worth about $3,000. This is an experiment in, you know, if I want to buy 10 cars like this. Uh, but at the same time that I'm doing this and, and like have my capitalist hat on of like, all right, I made $315 from this one car so I could make $3,000 if I had 10 cars. And uh, at the same time, I'm like, I'm, I'm messaging this woman who can't afford an $80 charge. And like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't understand the, there, there is so much about her life that I feel like I wouldn't understand. Like I would love to just sit down and and have a meal and just ask her so many questions about like how do you do anything? And man, I feel like I sound like such an asshole right now. Like I don't understand the poor. How how do they how do they get by? But I didn't I didn't realize. Like I had a conception of oh man, billionaires must be so out of touch because they don't know that. You, you know, they just hop on their private jet and, and scoot around places. And I didn't realize that, like, that's me because I can afford to have a car and I can afford to have two cars. And when I get hit with surprise $80 expenses, I don't even think about it. Like, it, it would hurt a little bit if, like, you know, that if I bought an $80 lunch, I'd be like, oh, man, that was that was an expensive lunch. Nah, I won't do that again. But, like, I'd stop thinking about it after that. Um, and the, the idea that, like, the core thing... What feels analogous to me is like if I if I couldn't afford you know the the cost to run my server that's running my web application, which is like you know four dollars a month or something for per server, uh, that would be in dire straits. That I'd be living so much closer to the metal of like hand to mouth of like oh man, that's that's what I've been thinking about. <laughs> How do, did I come? <laughs> am I coming across right now? It's just like. <laughs> what is your what is your feeling about this and also how i've uh portrayed my my struggles with these ideas yeah no i, I mean it's an important reality check because like we were just talking about you know 3d printers and like 300 yeah. 3d printer it's like oh you know that's that's almost nothing compared to what it yeah. was but it's like hey, if you can't if you don't have any money then um 80 to make to have a money-making car as an asset um mm -hmm. is a lot yeah i'm reminded of a reddit thread that was i read recently about payday loans which are awful 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 but the it also talked about pawn shops and there were a lot of people on reddit who were like yeah i had a you know pawn my grandmother's wedding ring for a while and i just paid 35 dollars a month for years and then eventually got my life together and was able to buy a pack but wow. it's like you know so they paid you know like triple the cost of the of the ring or something over a couple of years yeah. um and 
yeah i mean yeah it's i mean the sad reality is probably half the country is in some you know is in that situation and um you know yeah i don't know what to do about it either and uh it's one reason that politics like politicians can be so out of touch because they're in the same situation that we are right they have money coming in and they just can't even understand what it's like to to live like that even though half of their constituents do um yeah i don't uh, i don't know what to do about it other than to say that yeah we should probably do more work to you know run into those those situations more often um, yeah. also very interesting i thought that you were going to be renting your car out to like people visiting the city or something um mm. it didn't even occur to me that people might rent cars in order to drive them for uber that's I didn't even think about that. That's interesting. I was planning on running it out on uh, a site for running it out to people just on vacation on something like Turo because uh, that's what I've used. And when I tried to sign my car up for it, I was <laughs> I drove this car into the ground. It's got like, I don't it's know, 160 old. miles on it. It's fallen apart. It's in very good working condition. Like I've kept it maintained, but like there's a lot of body damages and uh, the, the center console like doesn't lock again. So I, <laughs> I just duct taped some, uh, some magnets to it so it stays down. Uh, like, so... Uh, the, there's a limit on Turo for I think your car has to have less than 120 miles, 120,000 miles on it uh, to be able to rent it out on that. So I was looking for other alternatives, and a uh, higher car popped up as a as an alternative of like you can just put any working car on there, and uh, it's it's much higher higher mileage. Uh, the limit I put on my car is you can drive a thousand miles a day on it, um, so that I think it makes a lot more sense for people in the in the gig economy because there's there's limits on that if you're trying to do that for uh something like turo so i'm i'm actually able to charge much more for it than i would be able to for this level of car um because people running it on a higher car care much more about like they're just going to put miles on it they don't really care about how nice the car is uh but someone on vacation would want to buy a nicer car so they they would pay less for it um yeah yeah It, it feels sort of like i would love to help and i don't know an effective way to help and it i would love if the answer was something like, you know, having cars on this platform that I'm renting out is helping people because now I've provided a way for someone in a, a risky financial situation to be able to provide money for themselves. All you need is a, a driver's license. Um, I don't feel like it's extortionist. Like I'm charging $30. Uh, well, I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm charging $36 a day for the rental, which is like on the low end of uh, cars in my area. Um, so it feels like I could be like, if, if I helped this person who rented my car the first time, well, if I had more cars on this, I could be helping more of them. Uh, I would, I would just really like to be on the same page of like, Hey, you can totally be late in payment. That's fine. But I really would like you to message me and just let me know what's going on. So I don't think that my car got stolen. Uh, that would be really cool. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful overall. Cause like financially this you know, I made back 10% of the value of the car in seven days. That seems absurd to me. Um, right. In terms of an, of an investment, like if I if I could automate more of just the, the mental energy I'm putting towards messaging and like worrying about my car, if, if I'm going to have to file a police report, uh, I, I would love to scale this up. Um, we've talked a, a bit before about like struggling with ways to... Uh, that I've been struggling with ways to figure out how to spend money to make more money. And this seems really, really straightforward. This is just, you buy cars and you put more of them on the app. And if you want to make 10 times more money, you buy 10 times more cars. Uh, and that's it. Um, so I'd like the idea of that. And, uh, as soon as I get the car back, I guess I'll know what the 
what the full picture of this thing is and uh, if I want to scale it up. But yeah, lots of lots of philosophical thoughts just about, I think I frequently forget how privileged I am of like the, the concerns that I have in my life would just seem so stupidly trivial to someone in the position of not being able to spend $80 to like rent a car and, and get the weekly discount because they're buying a, a bunch of days at the same time or someone having to, you know, pawn their grandmother's wedding ring uh, and, and pay it back. Like, man, I, I feel like I can't complain about anything when those, those, those seem like such more important, like lower level problems. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I've gotten from that experience. Yeah. No easy answers. And I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have much, much more to say about it without thinking about it. Totally switching gears. Uh, this is going to be a rough transition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> buying a boat. <laughs> I was looking at yachts recently. And <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so we've been talking about uh, the last few episodes, uh, this struggle with uh, switching between work and taking breaks and uh, having a little bit of dopamine from these dopamine machines of Twitter or YouTube. And... I had a new tidbit of information I wanted to just bounce off of you. I was talking with a uh, friend of mine uh, on the on the drive back about uh, his his method of doing this is this online card game called Dominion. Fantastic game. It's great. I love playing it like once a week. For him, hearing him talk about this game, it was really interesting because he, he framed it in a really similar way that we have framed uh, our relationships with Twitter and YouTube of like, he'll get into it and then he just won't be able to stop. And it was really interesting hearing him describe that and having played the game and been familiar with it of like, I have no problem just, you know, playing for a game or two and then going off. Uh, but for him, it it sounded much more like an addiction. And at the same time, he was describing it in a way that I would describe using YouTube of like, the problem that I have is I'll go and just want a quick break and then I'll end up spending an hour watching stupid videos that I didn't want to watch. Uh, and so it it helped me sort of put my finger on that the, the problem seems to be that it's it's not the use of the thing, it's that I can't stop using it. It's that I, I'm missing the thing to pull myself back out of it into the thing, the thing that I wanted to do. Um, but it the solution that I, I feel like we landed on uh, two weeks ago was like, quit cold turkey. And that just made me feel sad. I didn't like that because I had nothing to replace it with. I, I had some ideas of things to replace it with, but it, it didn't scratch the itch in the same way. Um, and so I've started like tempering, okay, let's, you know, I'm, I don't have to do this right now, but there's this thing I was going to watch this YouTube video about. So I'm, I'm in need of a break. Uh, let me go ahead and watch that right now. And uh, I, I still have the guardrails up of like, if I, if I try to see uh, the homepage of YouTube, it, it, uh, my browser extension won't let me. Um, but I'm, I'm curious on your end, getting an update on uh, if you've kept Twitter uninstalled um, and if you've felt that same sort of like sadness at not having an easy way to to get that same sort of dopamine itch uh what are your what are your thoughts on that yeah so i think my, me deleting twitter is a little different than you deleting youtube because i just deleted it off my phone but i still do it on my computer so mm. it was not a cold turkey thing it was just a when i'm just have my phone with me i should probably be more present that's what i wanted mm. um and so and I feel like that has happened. And so I still go to like Hacker News on my phone, but um, 
I don't read it for as long as I read Twitter on my phone. Like, you know, just sitting around with family, I would just be scrolling Twitter, which is, I think, not good. So um, now I find myself more engaged with things that are not my phone. Um, I still waste a lot of time on YouTube, though, and I would feel very sad if that went away cold turkey. So, um, but that's all on my computer, not my phone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, w- I would feel very bad if that went away because that's that's one of the way like if you just work all the time then you're going to burn out real fast and yeah. so you do need like i you know i do need some output the reason that i want a wood lathe to make these magic wands with is because i watch a lot of woodworking channels oh. and it seems very interesting uh wood lathes by the way are surprisingly dangerous which is why i haven't bought one yet um <laughs> they, they don't seem very dangerous but if you catch any piece of clothing like in something that's turning you know really oh, fast yeah. you can like tear off skin and fingers oh, and boy yeah uh, so I, I may still not buy one because like the risk reward ratio seems off because I need my fingers to type. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I need some distraction. Um, it's, it's the regulating how much that's, that's uh, trouble. I think my main takeaway from this experiment has been to make smaller adjustments. My, like my, my processes in life are working pretty well. I get stuff done. I have not yet gotten audited. I pay my bills. I'm living a pretty good life. I'm eating well. I'm exercising a, 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 a adequate amount. Um, I think. I think what I've learned from this is to to take seriously making major alterations to how I'm spending my time, and that I can have I can have the goal of I'd like to watch no youtube in a day uh in this in this mode of that i'm watching it just to sort of burn time uh but that going from you know watching it for three hours a day to nothing is jarring and it it feels like it would be more effective to taper that off and do something more similar to how you did of like okay well no twitter on the phone but you can still do it on the computer and then if you're still unhappy with that if you're looking at how you spent your time and okay well spent too much time on twitter okay well let's let's just spend a little less time uh and and go from there and okay well i tried to spend a little less time and it it didn't work okay well let's let's try this other thing to still just spend a little less time um so yeah positive uh growth i feel like i got to know more about myself and how to more effectively change my behavior which feels good cool yeah hopefully it continues positively yeah i think so uh i think that's all i got yeah Oh, one one small note. I just felt I I feel really good today. <laughs> I've uh, gotten several coding things done this morning, uh, and for the first time in a long time, I feel excited to work on file inbox. So I'm probably gonna bang out like four pomodoros on that today. Uh, I, I like know what I'm gonna work on, and the pathway seems clear. And like I feel unencumbered by this strange cloud of like negative emotion that I've had for the last two weeks of like listlessness and demotivation and like not wanting to work on anything and file inbox in particular uh feels like it's it's lifted uh which feels good sounds like vacations work (laughs) i think so especially road trips very meditative uh cool chris that's all i got that's all i got too then i'll see you next week goodbye